0: Welcome to the Beyond the Books podcast, where we're talking with the experts solving the world's biggest problems. My name is Jonah Lineward.
1: And my name is Aryan Singh, and we'd like to welcome you back to Season 3 of the Beyond the Books podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has been listening to our Season 3 episodes so far. We hope that you've liked them, and we look forward to bringing you some more amazing content this season. For today's episode, we're excited to welcome Dr. Mark Farrell, who is an associate professor at the University of Waterloo and Canada Research Chair in Youth Mental Health. Thank you so much for taking some time out of an extremely busy schedule to join us today, Dr. Farrell. We heard that you actually play hockey. So have you had the chance to play in any indoor rinks
2: lately? Actually, yeah. Uh, we started a group of us um, playing again up in St. Jacob's uh, earlier this month.
0: That's awesome. And have you uh, watched any hockey or is it just something you like to play?
2: I, I, I enjoy playing. I enjoy I enjoy watching. But I, I will say as I've gotten older, I've kind of become more focused on playoff hockey rather than going the whole length of the season. Um, but playing uh, shinny with uh, some peers is always good good fun on a Friday afternoon.
0: Are you a Toronto Maple Leafs fan?
2: I am not um I am a Habs fan through and through
0: amazing welcome to the podcast glad to have you yeah. I, I
2: knew there would be a connection right away yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's great yeah uh, we're recording now for anyone listening on the first Habs game of the season and they currently up one nothing on the Toronto Maple Leafs so that's nice excellent awesome okay well Dr. Firo thanks again for joining us um for anyone listening who may not know, Dr. Firo, uh, your research is in youth mental health and specifically focusing on child multimorbidity. So would you mind maybe walking us through uh, what your research is and what child multimorbidity means?
2: Sure. I'll, I'll start by addressing your, your second question first, multimorbidity Um, actually has a a very broad definition, and essentially it means uh, the co-occurrence of two or more conditions uh, in an individual. Um, Where my work comes in specifically tackles um, a specific focus of multimorbidity, and that is the co-occurrence of a physical and a mental health problem in a person, specifically children and, and young people. So, whereas some researchers are interested in multimorbidity more generally on the physical side of uh, of health, um, they might focus on asthma, diabetes, and epilepsy all in in one individual. My particular work focuses on the the intersection of, of physical and and mental health in children and young people, and the majority of my work is tackling that phenomenon in terms of the the social and the the biological uh, mechanisms that lead to the onset of physical mental multimorbidity in children and young people so inherently uh, my work does take a, a multi-level approach to understanding the problem uh, both types of Conditions uh, can be uh, biologic in nature. They do have social determinants, um, as well as um, broader level uh, system uh, impacts uh, on individuals and, and families, of course. Um, I'm also very much interested in the outcomes associated with uh, children who have multimorbidity uh, outcomes that are psychosocial in nature, particularly quality of life.
1: And multimorbidity is definitely a really interesting research field that you don't hear too much about. And for certain chronic illnesses, the development of uh, mental health issues is somewhat understandable, but for others, it gets a lot more difficult to understand. So would you say that for children with the same chronic illness, uh, would they have the same risk of developing mental health issues or would this risk
2: vary? It's a great question. Typically, what we see in children and young people, and when I say children and young people, really using um, a very broad age range, you know, as long as young as two years of age all the way up to 25 uh, emerging adults. And individuals uh, who have physical health problems, such as asthma or epilepsy, are inherently at increased risk for developing uh, mental health problems, whether it be uh, um, anxiety, depression, ADHD. But what we are learning is um, differences across physical conditions. So comparing individuals who have asthma to diabetes to epilepsy, the risk for mental illness across physical health problems is um, quite negligible with respect to their differences. They all have increased risk relative to individuals who don't have physical health problems. But when we compare across physical illnesses, differences are are very small, uh, almost negligible.
0: And one of the biggest chronic illnesses that we've seen, or at least I've seen in my lifetime, uh, obviously, is the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I'm curious, how have you seen trends develop uh, with regards to the multimorbidity of COVID nineteen in youth and their men- mental health.
2: Yeah, you know, COVID nineteen um, it's an interesting natural experiment for all intensive purposes. Uh, given that it's affecting everyone to different degrees, of course. But uh, what we are seeing in in children and young people is increased levels of psychological distress, um, very broadly. Uh, psychopathology related to anxiety, depression, uh, loneliness, um, uh, loss of hope. Um, and uh, when we focus on the subpopulation of children with uh, chronic conditions or multimorbidity per se, uh, their increases in their psychological distress are um, quite similar to uh other individuals in the general population who don't have uh, physical multi-morbidity. What we are seeing, uh, however, are increased stress levels within the family unit, uh, given some of the uh, countermeasures we've seen to reduce transmission of uh, the COVID-19 virus. And and that speaks to some of the school closures and the challenges that individuals Uh, who have a child with uh, a physical health problem, needing accommodations, and then adding the compounding stress of having to uh, learn from home uh, in potentially crowded environments um, has kind of compounded some of these these stressors within families. Um, What we've typically seen is that for the most part, um, there there is uh, added uh, stress within these families. Uh, not just because of the virus itself and the fear of um, uh, getting infected, uh, but also due to uh, the shift of hospital services from in-person to virtual services. Uh, We are trying to understand more and more about whether the quality of care through uh, virtual health uh, uh, appointments is similar to that that a child will receive uh, in person. But there is also uh, a backlog of uh, appointments for children with their physical health problems, which may precipitate uh, exacerbations or or further disability that could, again, uh, exacerbate uh, psychopathologies and and symptoms of psychological distress. So you can see it's it's rather cyclical. Um, There's multiple entry points within this, this cycle um, and, and they all seem to uh, reciprocate from each other.
0: I find something that is quite interesting in the pandemic has also been the fact that the overall mental health of like young people or the general population, at least as reported in, in the media, seems to be at an all-time low. Um, but not every person has COVID or is going through like a, a secondary physical health condition And yet, of course, the COVID pandemic, and like you mentioned, all the other kind of uh, circumstances that we've put in place to prevent transmission are negatively impacting certain people's mental health. How do you account for something like that when discussing multimorbidity if the COVID pandemic may be a contributing factor on its own aside from the the physical harms presented by COVID? Uh,
2: That's a question, uh, Jonah. It it's it's difficult to untangle um, its effects because the the pandemic that we are experiencing now in the fourth wave is so pervasive, as you alluded to. Um, to to get a sense of, of what we're seeing in our, our cohort of children with multimorbidity is some unique associations in that children who suggest uh, who would report. Um, less physical uh, or functional impairment, are actually reporting the greatest um, psychological distress from prior to the pandemic to during the pandemic. And that would seem counterintuitive, that if they are uh, better functioning in terms of their mobility and, and social participation, you would expect that, you know, They would have at least some sort of buffering effect against the the negative sequelae of uh, the pandemic. But if we if we think of it if we add a different lens to to that, these are children who, uh, despite having challenges of multimorbidity, are in a health state that uh, normally would allow them to interact with peers, attend school regularly, uh, get to the park, play organized sports and suddenly the pandemic is taking that away, there's there's a greater sense of loss um, for those individuals uh, compared to others who might have uh, lower uh, functional uh, or higher functional impairment, who for the most part would have been unable to participate in those activities because of their challenges. Um, while the COVID-19 pandemic is is obviously a, a big stressor, uh, there's a, a relatively, uh, lower sense of loss. And so we, we're starting to see some of these counterintuitive uh, associations within this population.
1: And your research focuses primarily on multimorbidity in children,
2: but is it also
1: prevalent in older populations or does the prevalence change because of, I guess, the age or the maturity factor?
2: No, the 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 prevalence does change. Um, typically, uh, Early work in uh, understanding multimorbidity in its broadest sense uh, was typically the research was typically done in older populations. Uh, as, as we age, we, we tend to accumulate more and more chronic conditions. Um, but what we're starting to see is many of these conditions are starting earlier and earlier in life. And so Really, the, the idea of childhood multimorbidity in its broadest sense is uh, still in its infancy. And the, the specific focus I have on physical mental multimorbidity is, is an even smaller niche uh, type of area. And so we're, we're learning new things, um, you know, almost weekly with regards to untangling the, the physical and, and mental health um, challenges these, these children face. And and why it's so important to to study them so early is to put these these children and their families on the best possible trajectory early in life, so that by the time they reach uh, middle adulthood and even late adulthood, um, they they wouldn't have experienced some of the negative consequences of having uh, multiple multiple conditions or multimorbidity so early in life.
1: Okay, and what kinds of treatments are actually used today to help individuals who are actually suffering from from mental health issues associated with a chronic illness that they have
2: uh, for children um, the the treatment of mental health problems um, is is difficult because there are so many uh, facets of the illness um, a child um, exists within a, a family unit, however that that unit is is defined. And so it's not just the child who is experiencing uh, mental health problems, it's typically the family unit as well. And so uh, ideally with whatever uh, intervention or treatment um, that is provided to the child, it's typically family-centered. And that's probably a little bit different than what we see in uh, adult mental health care where uh, an individual is treated as a person individually uh, to promote the best possible health outcomes for them. But for children, um, we are also considering the fact that there are parents or guardians who are involved in the child's care, helping to manage their physical and mental health problems. And siblings too, could be involved as well. We're learning more and more about the, the effects of uh, siblings who have uh, brothers or sisters with multimorbidity and, and the health outcomes they experience. Um, what, what makes uh, pharmacological treatment uh, for children with multimorbidity uh, a bit challenging is potential for contraindications with medications they may be taking for their uh, physical health challenges.
0: Can you just uh, explain for anyone who doesn't know, what does what pharmacological intervention usually mean? Uh,
2: we're, we're talking about uh, medical treatment that involves uh, uh, prescription medicine.
0: Great. Thank you. Uh, Very serious topic. And I'd like to actually pivot now, um, maybe try and move a bit more uh, out bright outlook, let's say. Um, I'm curious with all of the uh, negative impacts that COVID has had on mental health. uh, Have you noticed in your research, any positive trends during the COVID pandemic where you've actually seen uh, something useful come out of uh, the pandemic and out of remote school,
2: with our study specifically in our cohort of children and families, uh, we we did actually, in addition to conducting uh, quantitative survey work, we we did do some qualitative interviews uh, with uh, the children and and one of their parents. Um, and uh, what we were learning from some of these interviews was that despite the the pandemic and and the lockdown ordinances that that were occurring, some families were actually reporting uh, improved communication among family members. And for us and our team, that was quite interesting because communication is really focal to the notion of family-centered care, whether it's communication between uh, parents and the children or the parents and uh, healthcare providers. Um, And so, notions of or measures of family functioning, how well a family is communicating and working together, uh, was actually going up for uh, a large proportion of our families, uh, only because they needed to work so much harder um, to be able to adapt positively to um, essentially being stuck at home. Um, There there were, of course, families who, who struggled a lot more. Um, but we were we were pleasantly surprised to see how many were actually reporting positive outcomes, um, opportunities to spend more time as a family, uh, parents reporting more engagement with their their children and their schoolwork and understanding the amount of work that you know a student in, in grade five or six actually needs to complete uh, compared to when they were in grade five or six. So um, that, that was definitely a, a positive. Uh, some families also reported uh, uh, being very uh, amenable to the virtual or telehealth care that they were receiving from their uh, uh, pediatric specialist. Much of that stemmed from the ability not to have to travel to the hospital, to the outpatient clinics to see the specialist, and having to manage for childcare for siblings cost of parking and these types of um, factors that that go into um, taking a, a child to a healthcare appointment. And so so that's something where we're thinking longer term that perhaps virtual healthcare care uh, is here to stay.
0: Yeah, that's a, a similar answer to uh, what we got when we spoke with Dr. Joanne Liu, former head of uh, Médecins Sans Frontières. Um, and she had also mentioned that there was a lot of positive feedback to the implementation of telehealth and that for people in remote areas, uh, they they seem to really enjoy that uh, increased accessibility. Um, So it's great to hear that that also applies to uh, children and youth nowadays. What I'd like to do now is pivot to our season three segment that uh, we have recently introduced and we'll continue today called fill in the blank. Um, Arian and I have prepared a couple statements each where we will read the sentence and then obviously you will then fill in the blank. Um, does that sound good?
2: <laughs> it sounds interesting. Let's try okay. it.
0: <laughs> sounds good. So I will start in the next five years. I'd like to see schools add blank to their mental health campaigns.
2: I'd like to see more parent and family engagement in their mental health campaigns. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, I think it it stems from the importance of the family unit in in whatever shape or form to uh, helping the child uh, achieve his or her uh, best possible health outcomes. Um, And if we don't incorporate families and and I use that term in the broadest of sense parents, guardians, siblings, grandparents. We know that there are multi-generational families living together and, and each has a particular perspective and voice uh, with which to support children who have mental health problems. And I say we want to see that in schools because children spend the majority of their waking hours in schools. And, and so if there is input from families to support children in that environment, uh, I think it, it would be very beneficial.
1: A very solid answer, and I, I definitely agree. So the future of youth mental health research looks like blank.
2: It looks like the study of the intersection between biological Um, Mechanisms as well as psychosocial mechanisms um, leading to the onset of mental illness in children and young people.
1: That's definitely like a a really interesting perspective because a lot of the mental health issues today are they all have a biochemical basis, but not a lot of people actually talk about the biochemical basis. So it'd be cool to see that in the future.
2: I I agree. There's a recent uh, opinion piece, I I believe it was in the the Globe and Mail, in, in that. Uh, there's been a shift and a heightened awareness to the, the social determinants of, of mental health in, in the population, uh, but we, we can't lose sight of the fact that uh, many of these illnesses do have a strong biological or genetic uh, component. Um, to ignore the, the biological or the social gives us uh, an incomplete picture of how we can best support children and families. Um, I, I'm thinking that it's not just simply gene environment interactions, which have you know, been studied before, but specifically looking at the mechanisms and at which points there may be interactions uh, whereby the social might influence the, the biologic and vice versa.
0: That's a great point. My research shows that one of the best things young people can do for their mental health is blank.
2: Now, I don't want to take credit for it because it's not my work per se, but part of my team. And um, my answer would be physical activity. Um, I I think we, we often uh, have a a narrow focus on physical activity. Uh, Perhaps it's moved towards, um, you know, weight management or uh, weight loss um, but physical activity particularly in young people and the the 24-hour movement guidelines that come out from um, Canadian researchers is that yes it's it's obviously beneficial for uh, children's physical health uh, but there is lots of evidence supporting physical activity for for mental health and so in children with multimorbidity who um it, it who who have a physical health problem and a mental health problem, the the physical activity component can impact both aspects of their their health challenges. And and going back to the point about how reciprocal these effects are, if we can improve physical health, oftentimes we will improve mental health, which will subsequently improve physical health and, and around and around we go.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think physical health is really really important in anybody's lifestyle because it's just such a good outlet um like i know for me personally i find any time i can get outside and just even uh even if it's just a walk it's such a nice uh departure from kind of the day to day and it's a really nice way to uh, have some time to reflect and i find it's it's great for my mental health as well
2: Uh, absolutely um you know there's a a time and a purpose for moderate to vigorous physical activity, and some that's uh, low or moderate. Whereby, you know, going for a walk at two thirty in the afternoon just to clear your head and, and recharge and refresh is is fantastic. I, I do that with uh, my my graduate students. We we try to make it daily to to do a ring road walk, let's say. Um, and then there's the the Friday afternoon hockey that uh, gets a, a good sweat in, and yeah, it. Uh, it's amazing what it does for um, recharging one's uh, emotional self.
1: Definitely couldn't agree more. So uh, one common misconception about youth mental health is blank.
2: Whoa, that's a, that's a good one. (laughs) Common misconception. Um, I, I think it's not just for, for youth mental health, but I think it's for anyone that it, it's something temporary that, You'll you'll just get over it, um, and and that's not the case. It's it's akin to saying to someone uh, with asthma, you'll just get over it. Keep running, it'll go away. No, um, these are these are real health problems. These are uh, treatable health problems, uh, but importantly, they are chronic. Um, Individuals can lead very full lives, uh, happy lives with mental health problems if, if managed appropriately. And they wax and they wane with their, their symptomatology over time. Um, but oftentimes they are not temporary. Uh, one may not grow out of it, um, uh, to use something more colloquial. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest misconception.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, Dr. Firo, thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone listening, we appreciate your time. Uh, for Beyond the Books, my name is Jonah Meinwald.
1: My name is Aryan Singh, and we'd like to thank you all for listening to our podcast. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Beyond the Books Pod, and we'll see you in next week.